Hey there. Thank you so much for checking out this message with us at Believer's Chapel. Our prayer is that you have a genuine experience with God and that you're able to connect with him in a deeper way as a result of listening to this message. Thank you again. God bless you. Satan is really eating some people's lunch. I really see the influence of Satan in our world. I see the influence of God in our world. But I really see a lot of things happening in people's lives that really um, Satan's really having his way. So what are some of the characteristics of Satan? I think it's important to start there and understand why this deception, why these lies, these things he does are so damaging. Now, this isn't something that gets talked about a lot. It's not exactly the kind of thing you talk about over a campfire or something like that. But Satan is a real being. He's not some kind of symbol. He's not some sort of an entity. And he works constantly to influence our lives and the world we live in. Now, some of his characteristics are he's the prince of this earth. Not the king of this earth, but he is the prince. He has had power over many, many leaders. Just think back over time, the Stalins, the Hitlers, the Maos, all these different people that, that were responsible for genocides and horrible things. Satan has been involved in their lives. Satan's desire is to undermine God's plans and to destroy God's plans and God's people. Satan desires to keep people from coming to know Christ. Anybody that's ever struggled to come to know Jesus knows that there's a battle that wages within us between finally making that decision to raise our hands. So these are some of the things we're going to talk about today. He's a tempter. He tempts man to get them to do wrong and lead them into destruction. John 10.10 says the thief, in other words Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Jesus has come that they may have life and live it to the full. Satan's plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. How many have ever been affected by Satan? Yeah, we all have. So there's no doubt that God's plan is a better plan and a more powerful plan because God certainly is more powerful. Now I know that Satan... <clears throat> from my own personal experience, is powerful. Many people dispute the power of Satan, and they say, well, you can't really give him credit for all these things that are going wrong, and they kind of water down Satan's influence, but I'm here to tell you, Satan really is the real deal. Some people think the world's problems are just the result of bad decisions. Well, from my own personal experience, and I believe that the Bible bears this out, I believe it's both. I look back over my own life, I look over the lives of others, I look over the stories in the Bible, and people can make tremendously good decisions on one hand and be extremely successful on one hand, but yet have sinful areas in another place of their life that creates levels of destruction. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So we've all been able to have a certain level of success, but we all have weaknesses and vulnerabilities. We're all vulnerable in different areas. A lot of it's based on how we were brought up. A lot of it's based on the hurts, our history, how we were raised, how we view others, and how we view ourselves. But one thing is for sure, Satan knows where we are vulnerable. He knows where our hurts, he knows where our pain is. He is a tempter, and he tempts us with a form of sin. And if we will give in to it, then he wins and we will have bad outcomes. Satan knows that our flesh, our flesh, we were born with this, has a propensity towards accepting sin. It has a propensity towards gratifying our flesh. And Satan's influence isn't always about what we would consider like the really big stuff, you know, the murderer, the person who becomes a drug addict, the person who's a, you know, a serial rapist or something like that. All of us have got these vulnerable places that Satan wants to work in to deal with us in ways where the sin is a little bit more subtle. So it can be offenses. It can be attitudes. It could be selfishness. It could be our need for control. It could be lying, stealing, unforgiveness, gossiping, 
and many other things that we just kind of go through our life and we chug through our life and we don't give it a whole lot of thought. Satan tempts us in all these different areas and it's not the same for all of us. What I struggle with may not be the same exact thing that you struggle with. And one thing is for sure, that the sin puts space between us and God, and that is Satan's intention. Now, I was raised in a single-parent home. I never knew my father. My father left when I was an infant. Now, those decisions that were made on the part of my father and probably my mother, I don't know the full story even to this day, left me in a very vulnerable situation. So I grew up on the south side of Syracuse. I went to some of the toughest public schools that were around at that time, and I had no reference point for manhood. My mother did the very best she could as a mother, but she could not replicate a father. Now, my vulnerability came in in my preteen years and beyond, trying to fill these holes and these voids in my soul. And I didn't fully understand at the time why I was so angry why I was so depressed, but Satan knew and fully understood exactly where I was vulnerable. God also understood. God also knew that I was vulnerable. And God wanted to be a part of my life. God wanted to fill those places. But the propensity I had in my flesh towards evil moved me away from God and toward the things of Satan. When you're in a place like I was mentally and emotionally, you're easy prey for Satan to inject ungodly influences, drugs, alcohol, sex, just about anything else you can think of. Let me point out a reference in the Bible to back up my point. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be alert, of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. This scripture is telling us that we've got to be sober of mind. We've got to be thoughtful. We've got to be diligent and aware of the schemes of the enemy. That's my purpose here today is to talk about the schemes of the enemy so that we are not tricked, deceived, and lied to and make decisions that take us to the wrong place. I was not of sober mind, as it says in the scripture. I was easy prey for Satan. Now, in no way, shape, or form am I saying that my decisions weren't my responsibility and my fault. But Satan was like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that's exactly what he did. He devoured me. And he devoured a bunch of my friends at the same time. Now, thank God I had a mother that back when I was seven, eight years old used to take me to church. And I found Christ. And I accepted Christ back when I was young, but I ran away from Christ. After that, as I got into my preteen years, I ran away from Christ. But the seeds had been planted that were critical later on. So my life was chaos. It was filled with sinful behaviors. And the less and less interest I had in the things of God, the more and more Satan was influencing me. Does that make sense? Can you hear what I'm saying? that the further I moved away from the things of God, even though my mother planted things inside of me, I chose to move in the other direction. The good news is, as I stand here today, I can tell you that we can be victorious over Satan and his schemes and his plans for destruction. If we have been a slave to sin, as I was, and maybe it's not all the same ways, but if we have given into his schemes... And if we have allowed him to have influence into our life, we can get free of it. How are we going to do it? Well, it's going to take a combination of salvation. we got to come to know Christ. It's going to take God's grace. And it's going to take some work and some determination on our part. It's not always an easy path once we get saved. At 40 years old, I did finally come to know Christ when my life and my family was imploding. So I go through all these years. I go through 40 years of life. I was divorced from my first wife because I just couldn't control my, my passions. I went through all kinds, of, all kinds of crazy things for 40 years, which I won't get into all the details, 
today, but I was a father. I, I was a fatherless person. And shortly after I got saved, and I'm kind of getting off track here, but I really believe I need to say this. So after I get saved, a couple of years after, I'm coming to grips with the fact that I grew up as a fatherless kid, that I grew up without a father, and I'm praying one day to God. I'm on my knees before my big recliner that was down in my office, and I would get down there and I would pray, and I felt God speak to me, and he says, I will be your father if you will let me. If you will let me. And I wasn't sure exactly what they had meant at that particular time, but I just put my hands up and I said, yes. I said, I will let you. And something in my life started to change in a trajectory that I never saw coming. And so shortly after that, we were here at church and we had a prophet come in. I'd never been prophesied over. And the prophet, Laddie McDonough, comes in and he prophesies over me and my wife and he says to me, and you will be a father to the fatherless. And I'm like, whoa, wait a I don't even know anything about being a father. But God had spoke to me, the prophet spoke to me, and so into the word I went to learn. And so what happens? God starts sending kids into my home, foster kids, homeless kids, addicted kids, people out of prison, all kinds of people start coming into Alice's in my home. One of them's here today, my son Adam. And, and and we raise these kids, and we see these kids through life and into marriage and into having kids and, and our grandkids. And why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because it doesn't make any difference where you came from. It doesn't make any difference what happened. It doesn't make any difference how much ground Satan took in your life. God's got a better plan. Okay, now I'm going to shift gears here. We're going to go to another topic. Satan is the god of this age. His agenda and work is to deceive and blind those who don't believe in Christ. Okay? People that don't believe in Christ, Satan has blinded them. He blinded me, okay? Even though I came to know Christ as a child, as I went through my, all those years, I was blinded. I was like, ah, I knew in the back of my mind what I should do, but it was like, Nah, I got to do these other things. He, Satan will keep the non-believer distracted with other pursuits and pleasures that gratify the flesh. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 3, and evil, even if our gospel is veiled, the gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded, blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that God displays, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So what does it say? It says that Satan blinds the eyes, he blinds the minds of the unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel. Have you, have you ever known anybody you've been witnessing to and you're trying to get them to come to know Christ and it's just like they just can't see it? God makes sure the gospel is available and exposed to everyone. Most refuse to hear it. That's why the scripture talks about that only a few are going to enter through the narrow gate. But wide is the gate to destruction. That most people are going to, they're not going to accept Christ and they're going to go in a different direction. The gospel is foolishness to the unbeliever. It's total foolishness to the unbeliever. Only a believer can grasp the goodness and the graciousness and the tremendous love that Christ has for us. Think about it. When you start talking to people that don't know Jesus about the goodness and the graciousness of God, they kind of look at you with a blank stare. And they can't, they just can't grasp it. Now, back in my drinking and drugging and partying days, I had friends who absolutely refused to hear the mention of the name of God. Now, I wasn't trying to evangelize them because I was part of the group. But the mention of the name Christ or God, would, they would recoil at it. They would rebel from it. Sometimes they would even mock it. They absolutely refused to hear the mention of it. Some of the people that I was with probably had heard the gospel, 
because I knew who their employer was, and they had an employer who happened to be a Christian. So, so they would sometimes mock him, so I knew that there was something that was going on. Now, we were all partying. I really wasn't all that concerned at that time about their salvation or even my own. And unfortunately, the lifestyle we were in would not allow them to even consider anything that had to do with Jesus Christ. Many of those friends have passed away over the years. Many of them have. Some of them died really young in their 40s and 50s. They were, they were just so heavily um, into drugs and alcohol, and their hearts became so hard that even up to the bitter end, they could not even consider the name of Jesus. I did have a couple of friends who later on, after I got saved and after my life was changing, they came to me out of curiosity and wanted to know, they wanted to know, what's it all about? Has it really changed? Is it really as good as it looks? And I was able to share the gospel with them and I was able to lead them to Christ. I am absolutely convinced that looking back over my life, to the times my mother spent with me sitting across the kitchen table when I was a kid, reading the word to me and explaining the word to me, planted the seeds in me so that as hard as I tried to run away from God, I could not run it. That those seeds were planted and God came back and pulled them back. Now we all know family, we all know friends that reject the gospel. They're embedded in their lifestyle, whatever it is. So we need to pray without ceasing that the veil of deception is lifted. Okay, we've got to pray without ceasing. If you have relatives, if you've got friends, people you know in your community, you have got to pray and pray and pray and pray for that veil, that blindness to be lifted from them. Hopefully, our life is one that as the veil is lifted, they will be attracted to our life as Christians and we can give them the good news. And this is really critical because their eternity depends on whether we give them the good news or not. Amen? Now, if we got prodigal children, I know some of you here have got prodigals. I was a prodigal. I had, I had a prodigal. I know about prodigals. And I know something about what can go wrong when you're raising a prodigal child. We're going to have kids sometimes that are going to choose lifestyles that are different than what we would prefer. They're going to go in directions that no matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we try to give them the right things, we're sometimes going to have kids that are going to choose to do things that are going to be against what we would prefer. We've got to keep the relationship open. You cannot get angry and break the relationship. You have got to maintain the relationship because if you don't maintain the relationship, any opportunity for influence, any opportunity to be able to bring them back is going to be lost. And a lot of times as parents, we get angry, we get upset, and we cast them off, and it creates such a breach and such a hole in everyone's soul that it's hard to get it back. Kids today are under so much pressure, so much pressure. There's just so many things coming against kids today to pull them in the wrong direction. We've got to use our influence to lead them to Christ and to guard their hearts and guard their purity in every way possible. I'm going to shift gears again. Satan also functions through offense. We've all been offended at different times, haven't we? Anybody here not been offended? Not been offended? Not too many. We've all been offended people at different times. The spirit of offense is one of Satan's most diabolical tools. He loves turning people against one another. Absolutely loves it. How does he do it? He gets in our head. Okay? So somebody ignores us. They don't speak to us. They say something maybe that's a little sarcastic. We take it the wrong way. We're walking down the hall and we think we, we wave to them, say hi. They didn't say hi back. And Satan gets in our head and it's like, hey, you know, that person, look at what they did. They're really upset at you or they did something to you or you did something to them and he starts working in our head. And these things can be really simple and they may not be purposely malicious, but Satan really doesn't care. 
He's going to create maliciousness out of the simplest little offense. If Satan can get us offended, what's he do? He gets us to dwell on it, doesn't he? He gets it in our head, and we dwell, and we think, and we think, and we think, and we think about it. And so now we're held prisoner to this offense to someone else. Sometimes we react with words that we can't get back. Sometimes bitterness can set in, which turns resent to resentment. And every time we see the other person, we have an attitude. Now, we can have an internal attitude. We can have external attitude. We can have this internal attitude that when we see the person we're offended at, we just kind of act like everything's cool and everything's good. But inside, we're really bugged with them. We're really bugged. It's like, oh, man, this person did this and that and the other thing. But we act like nothing's wrong. Or we can have the external attitude that when we see the person, we let them know we're bugged, but we don't do anything to resolve it. We just let people know that we're bugged. Offended people tend to attract other offended people. When we're offended, the tendency, the fleshly tendency is to want to gossip to other people about it. And then people who hear it take up the offense, and now they see this other person through the lens of offense of this other person. I've had, I've had, this, I've had this happen to me. And so now they see this other person through this distorted lens. Now, church is kind of a weird kind of place where people get offended, and I've observed this here for about 30 years. And so people get offended in church, and for whatever reason, as Christians, they don't do very much to resolve what they're offended about. They just kind of let their feet do the walking, and out the door they go. And leave behind offenses, leave behind broken relationships, and leave behind sometimes the people they're offended at don't even know why they're offended. But as Christians, in church, if we become offended with one another, or with leadership, God would expect us to go and try to get the thing worked out if possible. Now, sometimes things can't always be resolved to everyone's liking. I get that. But we've got to at least make an attempt. Because why? Because if we don't, Satan gets in our head. And sometimes leave the church, and they're gone 10 and 15 years. And they're still offended with something that took place 15 years ago. Who's in their head? Who's winning? Who's winning? Satan, ding, 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 Satan. So when we're offended, we've got to recognize what we're experiencing. Satan is getting his way. We've got to pray for help of the Holy Spirit. Now, this isn't easy to do. I get this, okay? But we've got to learn to pray blessing for the other individual. If you want to break this down, if you want to get past this, You've got to start to pray for the other person that you're offended with. You say, what are you, crazy? I am so upset at that person. I am not praying for them. I get that. But I'm telling you, if you want to get past it, start praying for the other person. The word says, don't repay evil with evil instead with a blessing. So if we're going to do things the way God wants, we're going to have to do some things that are a little bit uncomfortable. We've also got to work at not gossiping and not overreacting to what it is that's bugging us. A scripture I read years ago that really stuck in the back of my head, it says, it's to a man's glory to overlook an offense. So in other words, it's to a man's glory, a man's benefit to overlook an offense. So if something happens, and things do happen, and I'm not perfect at this, but if things do happen, I got this scripture planted in the back of my head which says it's to my benefit if I can overlook this and move on and not get stuck here. James 4, 7 says, submit to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist is an action word. It's not a passive word. Resist is action. So when we start getting stuff inside of us that we've got to recognize is not from God, that it's from the enemy, We've got to resist that stuff and push back on it and start bringing the things of God, the thoughts of God, the positiveness of God into our life and resist those very things that Satan is throwing at us. Remember, sober-minded, submit to God's ways. 
So in life, we've got to work to program ourselves to not get offended. It takes an effort to stay free from offense. Now let's move on to the nuclear family. It's the foundation that holds our society together. The nuclear family holds it together. We all know what's happening to the nuclear family. It's breaking down. Things are taking place. Satan is injecting himself. Poor decisions are being made. There's pressures from all kinds of places against the nuclear family. The divorce rate for Christian marriages is as much or more than it is for secular marriages. So people, Ellis and I have done a lot of marriage counseling over the years. And we can see it. You can see it right in front of you in living color. And people will ask, well, why are Christians getting divorced at the same rate as, as non-Christians? Quite simply, because either they don't know the word or they know the word and they won't apply the word to their marriage. They won't live by the word. They won't submit to the word. They won't submit to God and they won't submit to one another. So the marriage starts to unravel and they don't know how to put the pieces back together, but yet the answer is right in front of them. Can anybody say amen? Am I, am I, am I speaking to anybody? So the divorce rate is just as bad in the church as it is outside. Now, offense is a really big issue in marriages. When Satan interferes in marriages, he injects negative thoughts, just like he does when we get offended. But he gets these negative thoughts. He gets these irritations going where a man and a woman, a husband and wife, start to get attitudes towards each other, and they start to get, get all these negative vibes in their head. So then the couple start to see each other through a negative lens. So the lens gets cloudy and muddy and murky. And so everything that happens starts to get filtered through that negative lens. And they become annoyed and they become irritated with one another. And the heart starts moving away from one another. Each one of their hearts starts moving away. And now it's harder and harder to put the pieces back together. Now, so in my own marriage, Alice and I will be married 41 years next month. <clears throat> it's worth clapping for if you know where we came from. So, so the, first, the first 10 years, okay, we got married. Alice was a Christian. I was not. I was still doing my thing. I was still partying and being crazy, doing all kinds of stuff. We were raising two kids. We had a blended family. And trust me, 10 years of that really, really took its toll. Took its toll on us. Took the toll worse on her. But my life finally came to a place where it was going to implode. Okay, I was about to lose my marriage. I was still successful in business. And I'm doing all these things. I'm really brushing with death and, and some things that that just really were bringing me to the end of things. So I come to know Christ. We were separated. We're living apart. We're living apart. And I'm in my kitchen. There was a Baptist church a couple blocks away. I've told some of you this story before, so bear with me. And so the Holy Spirit comes over me, and I'm just a mess. I'm crying. I, I called this pastor up, and he knew who I was. I said, you need to come over. And so I accept the Lord. I accept the Lord that night. Now, we're separated, we're living apart, and we're headed for divorce. She was, Alice was counseling, you guys need to get divorced. And things were really messed up. But we made a commitment. We were both committed that somehow, some way, we were going to save the marriage. Now, when I tell you there was negativity, when I tell you we saw each other through a filthy, dirty lens, that's putting it mildly. But... We believed that God could restore the marriage. We didn't know how. We didn't know when. We just didn't know. But we were purposeful, and we started to read the Word of God. We started to pray. We started to come back together again, and it wasn't pretty. But we had to put in all these different rules of interaction. We had to apply Scripture. Don't repay evil with evil, but instead with a blessing. You know how hard that is when you're upset with somebody? To repay them with a blessing when you're upset? Does anybody know? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's hard. Especially when you got the history that we had. We had tons of history. And so you've seen each other through this negative lens. Ah, they're doing that again. You know, they're up to that. So but we pressed into the things of God. We pressed in and we submitted ourselves as hard as it was. And it was so much against the flesh. 
And we had to put all these things into place in order to control ourselves and submit ourselves to the things of God. And as we did, the marriage came together and the marriage began to heal. And the Holy Spirit came upon us and started to heal and restore and put back together all the things the locusts have eaten. Can anybody say amen to that? Our impulse was find it easier to fight with our spouse than to stop and pray. We'll fight. We'll fight instead of pray. Instead of just walking away and taking a break and going and pray. A lot of times marriage is just about zipping this and just be quiet. Satan loves unresolved issues that always seem to hang over marriage and cause friction. Satan is very patient. He will inject all kinds of negativity. He will inject a refusal to say we're sorry. We'll be so convinced the other person is at fault. We have got to guard against this. We've got to work, get help resolving those unresolved issues. We've got to be wise to what's happening when we're not getting along. Our spouse is not our enemy. We have a common enemy that we need to come together and drive out of the marriage. When our heart is getting annoyed, when our heart is getting hard, that is where we've got to push back and resist on the things of evil. We've got to push back on the agitation, and it's going to come. We've got to press into God, and we've got to press into our spouse. But at all times, we have got to be aware of the condition of our heart, because that's where everything takes place. If our heart is becoming hard toward our spouse, trouble is on the horizon. If Satan gets the heart, he gets the person. If he gets the person, he destroys the person, and he destroys the marriage. Always guard your heart. Okay, let's shift gears one more time. One more look at Satan's influence, and we could go on and on. There's just no end to what Satan's doing. Romans 1, 24 to 28 says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Sexual sin. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So people take their eyes off of God and put their eyes on the created things <clears throat> and get involved in sexual sin that is totally against God. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. I could talk about the due penalty that's already been playing out for the last 20 or 30 years, but I won't get into it today. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind so that they would do what they ought not to be done. So at some point, at some point, when people reject God long enough, at some point when people are so determined to engage in the things that are against God, God just pulls back and says, go ahead, do your thing. So this is describing the world of deviance and depravity that we're seeing today. The sexual sin promoted by Satan has really come full bloom. It's in our face. Our society is entrenched in sexual sin. We've got to be careful of what we're doing and seeing and how we're approaching it. We have more porn sites in America than anywhere else on earth. Our Supreme Court in 2015 voted five to four to overturn God's directive for marriages to be one man and one woman by declaring homosexual marriages to be legitimate. God already defined marriage, one man, 
one woman. Our Supreme Court says, no, it's not. We're going to do it this other way. Satan's desire is to confuse and compromise Christians so that they accept and behave the way the world does, the things of the world. Satan is trying to get Christians to move in a direction, to move in a direction that starts to a compromise and go along with agendas that are against God and like the world. Much of this happens because of false teachings that promote lifestyles and choices that are not consistent with God. We've got to be aware. We've got to be sober-minded. We've got to be diligent. We've got to be paying attention. Satan tries to push the believer away from God. Why? So that the testimony is worthless. So there's no testimony to the believer. So he can't attract the neighbor to Christ. There's no desire to lead others to Christ. Satan wants believers to be afraid to speak up and speak out for Christ. That's the agenda. So, I've given you all this information today about Satan. So now, what are we going to do? <clears throat> now that we're a little better educated. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, first, we've got to examine ourselves. I've given you a lot to think about today, hopefully. We've got to examine ourselves. We've got to look at ourselves. We've got to ask God to search us. That's what scripture says we're to do. Search us. Search us, oh God. Where am I vulnerable? I was a vulnerable kid. <clears throat> I'm still vulnerable in certain areas. Where are we vulnerable to Satan's schemes? Where is he doing business in our life? Is it about offenses? Am I carrying offenses? Do I have attitudes towards friends, co-workers, bosses, my, my family? Is it my words the way I use my words? Do I need to be more careful with the things I say? Is it compromise? Am I compromising? Is my walk with God starting to move in the direction of the world? What do I need to clean up? What are the things I need to clean up? You know, one of the things that Christians don't do enough of, and that's repent. We don't repent. We pray. We go to God. We petition God. We praise God. But we spend very, very, very little time repenting. We spend very, very little time asking him for forgiveness and asking him to search us and expose those places that need to be dealt with. So we need to ask, where's Satan been having victory over my household? What do I need to change in my marriage, in my family? What offenses with others am I hanging on to? Who do I need to forgive? Maybe I need to forgive some people. Maybe I need to ask some forgiveness from others. Ask God to search your heart today. Whether you do it today here at this altar or whether you go home and do it, you got to do it. You need to do it. Because if you don't do it, Satan will continue to work and fester and do business in your life. Galatians 5, 16 and 17 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. You walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of your sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. The two are at odds with one another. We have to walk in the Spirit, or we're going to go over here, and we're going to do the wrong things. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do what you want to do. Remember, our propensity, our fleshly propensity, when somebody offends us, when our spouse does something we don't like, when our kids do something wrong, when our neighbor throws his junk over our fence or something, our propensity, our fleshly propensity, is to do something that's not of God. And we've got to be willing to say, I'm not going to do that. So we got to keep Christ top of mind. we got to stay focused on him and his will for us, and we can be victorious. We've got to walk in the spirit. If we do not have daily time with him, if we're not into the word, it's going to be tough to walk in the spirit. The word of God is our only offensive weapon. When Jesus was in the desert for 40 days fasting, for 40 days he was hungry, he was tired, 
And Satan approached him and Satan attempted him with, with, tempted him with three different possibilities. Each time Jesus answered him with the word of God and then finally Satan left to come back at a more opportune time, okay? If Jesus needed the word of God as an offensive weapon to know the scripture, to apply in life situations, if Jesus needed it, do you think we need it? I think we do. Of course, for the first 40 years of my life were lived in chaos, turmoil, and sin. And I've learned in the last over 30 that it doesn't have to be lived that way. And whatever you're dealing with here today, whatever it is, whatever you're challenged with today, it doesn't have to stay this way. And a lot of times people stay stuck in stuff or they stay stuck not accepting Christ because they don't know what's on the other side because they've never been there. I'm telling you from my story, I can tell you what's on the other side and it's good, it's not bad, amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this time, Lord, to bring forth this word, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that it would just, just move in every heart here, Lord. We are all imperfect people. We are all so imperfect. And we need you so desperately. We need you to come into our inner places and just expose the places where we're just not doing it your way. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, my prayer is for everybody here, Lord, would just, would just look to you and ask you, Lord, to help expose those things, Lord, that need to change. I pray, Lord, for greater determination on the part of everyone here, Lord, to stand for you, to stand for the things of Christ. Lord, we just give you the thanks, we give you the glory for all that's good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, man. That's awesome. You guys give it up for Gary for sharing with us from the scriptures. I want to just, uh, just kind of close a little differently here today. Um, I want to ask Gary a couple of questions, you know, just to kind of wrap this up in a little different, just some perspective. You've lived on both sides of the fence. You've lived and you've allowed the enemy to just have his way for the season that you up till 40. And then after... So after you came to Christ and, you know, you share on how it took some years to get things together and even with your marriage and probably even with God and, and learn, you know, you've been living for Christ for 30 years now then? Is that about right? 31. How, 31. So you just gave away your age, so now we all know. Um, <laughs> um, how, do, how is the fight? Again, you talked about Satan, right, and how he comes and steals, tries to kill, steal, and destroy. Can you just kind of just briefly just tell us like how that fight is now after 30 years of living on the other side of with Christ versus before Christ when you were not fighting at all really I guess how's the fight versus Satan how do you do that well a lot of you know a lot of the things are you know I can still get offended you know so I have to fight with getting stuff in my head let the stuff stay in my head it's it's not as um, the intensity is not so great because I know the word of God. I know what's happening. I'm, I'm sober, at least more sober than I was, and alert to what's happening. So when things come into my heart and into my mind, I can recognize pretty quickly that the enemy's, something's going on. Something's happening that shouldn't be happening. If it's going on between Alice and myself, we can both catch it pretty quick and we can step back from it and we can approach it differently and bring the temperature down on whatever's taking place. And that certainly was not always the case. So there's still a battle. There's always going to be a battle. There's always going to be battles. I can get stuff come into my head, come out of nowhere, and it's like, where, where is this coming from? So it's, it's still, you can get offended. You can get annoyed. You can get all these same things can happen. But if we know the word of God, if we know God's ways and what God wants us to do and the way God wants us to move, we can deal with it more readily. We can deal with it, I'll, I'll say, a little easier, certainly, than when we're a new Christian. And for new Christians, if you've been, if you've been, you know, if you've been in the world for any period of time, you know, God's going to give you his Holy Spirit. He's going to give you his help. But it's still a battle. <clears throat> it's still a battle. You, you got to fight your way through some of these old issues. You just do. So would you say the the difference in the fight before Christ and after Christ is pretty much Satan still comes with the same ferocity, 
Yeah, well. <clears throat> but maybe now it's more, uh, you have more of wisdom and knowledge that you, uh, recognizing that this is not God. This is not even me. This is an enemy. And so to have that wisdom and just experience and the word and the Holy Spirit to help you fight. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't fight with this. I mean, before I was saved, I mean, I was, you know, when I was newly saved, I was battling with addiction. I mean, I was, we were battling, trying to save the marriage. We're battling all these different fronts. I'm not battling those same fronts today, but it's more about the subtle sins. See, there's all these subtle sins, like I talked about, the gossip, the offense, all these places in our life that are more subtle that we just go through life and we do them. You know, we just go through life and we're, we can be gossiping. We can be holding something against somebody. We can be um, taking something at work that we shouldn't take. I mean, all these different things that we don't give a lot of thought to this being against God. You know, so I think that once we get past some of the bigger earlier stuff, now it's more about the subtle stuff because Satan doesn't give up. He's, like I said, he's trying to separate the Christian from the things of God. He's trying to push us away. And if he can get us into a place where we're doing some of these subtle things, gossiping or lying or cheating or stealing, I mean, he's moving us away from God and he's moving away from moving us away from possibly our spouse, our family. It's constant, constant struggle, yes, and constant fight. I was uh, before service talking to Ro, who's also a founder, founder of this church. She's been here a long time. She's awesome. Um, and she was talking about how we need to get back to that time of really being real with Jesus and praying. And, you know, you brought it up, too, in your message about repenting and that we need to come to this place. And so, like, if the enemy, what you're saying, which I believe, you know, the enemy comes to separate us from God and we start getting into these thoughts or attitudes or gossip or different things you mentioned um, and those things kind of put a wedge between us and God that's where repentance comes in we come to the altar we come to our bedroom uh, just with Jesus and just you know really get real with God and say God I'm really sorry for you know whether it's my flesh doing it or the enemy has tricked me or duped you know into doing these things God I'm sorry because that that's where Jesus comes and can um, heal us and fix us and clean us up and she was talking about that today too so thanks for sharing that well well if if we don't clean it up, we got to remember, okay, if we don't clean, it's putting space between us and God, okay? So when there's space between us and God, then what happens to our life? Our, our life never fulfill, fulfills the greater purpose that God has, okay? God does not accept sin, okay? He doesn't just say, oh, yeah, well, that sin's okay, but you're okay. I mean, it doesn't work like that. So if we really want to experience the fullness of God, we've got to deal with these issues. We've got to be humble enough to repent. We've got to be humble enough to say, I'm sorry. We've got to be humble enough before the Lord and before our spouse and others to want to do the right things. Now we can start to see the fullness of God in our life. We can start to experience the blessings of God. I'm not saying he won't bless you early on, because he will. But I'm saying if you want to see the fullness, you got to deal with these things. Got to deal. That's good stuff. Thank you so much, Gary, for sharing this. It's good, good stuff. Do you guys get it for Gary again? I don't know about you, but I want, I want the fullness of God, you know, and I, I don't want to be separated from him. I want to be closer to him. We've lived on the other side, all of us to some extent, without Jesus. We've all done things our own way. We've gone astray. And that's no good. And so we don't, you know, let's keep our hearts clear and pure. Paul says, I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. I love that scripture and that fight to constantly, God, I don't want this in my life. I'm sorry. You know, we've got to do that. We've got to be there. And so I just want to um, encourage you today, if anything else, that we would come to a place as a church to continual repentance and just say, God, in humility and say, God, I don't have it all together. I need your help. And I'm sorry for allowing these things in my life. I'm sorry for falling to this. I'm sorry for being tricked. And, and repent first. And then when we have that, we have Jesus with us. and He's close to us. And then we have the power, the Holy Spirit, to push back and resist those things that come up. And God forgives us again and again and again. Amen? And he will. And no matter how many times, God will continue to forgive. So let's bow our heads and um, as we close the service out by your heads and close your eyes maybe you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus you're separated from him I want to let you know that Jesus died on the cross to pay for that separation
to pay for that sin so that you can have a relationship with him. So if you're here today and uh, you say, you know what, that's me. I want that relationship. I want to be forgiven. I want that separation to be gone. I want to know him. I want that relationship. If that's you here today with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, would you just lift your hand high enough so I can see it? I see your hands. I see your hand. Anybody else? I see your hand. Come on, I want you to just pray. Would you just pray all across this place for those people that raise their hands? Everybody say this. Say, Jesus, I don't want to be separated from you. So I ask that you forgive me from all the things that have caused me to be away from you. I believe you died on the cross so that I could be forgiven and that you raised again three days later so that I could have a new life. I receive that and I thank you that from this point on, I am yours and you are mine and I can have that relationship with you. Amen. Amen. Come on, would you give it up for those that just did that in this place? I want to, one more prayer. I just want to pray for all of us that we can become closer to Jesus. Amen. God, I just thank you, God, that you love us so much and we can feel you pulling us to yourself. We thank you for allowing us to be here today to hear this message on the schemes of the enemy, which is to divide us, to separate us from you, to separate us from each other. But God, today we say no more. God, we instead want to be near you. And so we ask for forgiveness. God, we ask that you would help us to um, not be lethargic or complacent in these matters, but God, that we would repent and God, that we would come clean and that we would take time to really be real and seek you, God, with our whole, with our whole heart. In Jesus' name, draw us nearer as we draw near to you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, as we close today, I'm gonna ask um, the prayer team elders to come and pray. If you need prayer for anything we was covered today or anything else, sickness and body or anything, if you have people that you need to pray for, we'd love to join you in prayer. We believe in prayer. We believe it's powerful and effective, and we would love to pray for you in any of those matters. If not, have a great week. We'll see you next week for the Fall Fest. We will be having service uh, in this place with some of our kids leading help us in worship and everything. It's gonna be a great day. Um, and if you haven't signed up for that, please do in the back. God bless and have a great, great week. Thank you again for checking out this message. If you would like help taking your first steps on your faith journey, you can text the number 315-444-2100 and include the word Jesus in your text. We're gonna follow up with you and help you get started. God bless you and thank you again.